Welcome to Dictate the Podcast, the home of all things FM. I'm your host, Ryan, and I'm here with Kate. Hello. Luke. Good evening. And Matty. Hello, everyone. That was a, a good introduction. I thought so, too. Yeah. yeah so we'll start, yeah, we'll start off with the home dressing room. Um, I know we've recently uploaded our first podcast of uh, 2021. And we didn't actually mention anything about saying Happy New Year, so we'd just like to say that, even though it's well into January. So we apologise for that in advance. Yeah, uh, there's no cut-off on when you can say Happy New Year up to. So. Yeah, unless it's that, that... maybe the 31st and say Happy New Year, and then the next day comes. All right, so um, we'll speak about the first article that just comes up in the last sort of seven days, and that is focusing on making a prof in FM21. So before I sort of go into it, how do you sort of go about making sort of a profit and trying to make your sort of cash flow good? I'll start with you, Luke. Yeah, as you guys probably know, I quite love MLS. And the best way to make money in MLS is to uh, not a sport game, you wouldn't do that, but um, if you've got MLS rules and if you can get enough players who are on reserve contracts, you can make your wage ball very low. So I always try and do that, get players on reserve contracts. Friendly is always a good way. Friendly tournaments. Um, yeah, there's lot, lots of way really, isn't there? Get an affiliate, get loan players and not play any wages. That's a great way, especially in MLS, when you've got a wage cap. No, I completely agree. I've never actually managed in the MLS, so I'm sort of taking your advice uh, with a pinch of salt. So if anyone is watching is going into the MLS, I would definitely recommend either listening to what Luke's just said about making a bit of money there or just go onto our website. We do have uh, a, f- a few uh, FM guides to focus on the MLS. Um, I'll go to you next, Kate. I... Um... I actually manage them in a, in a kind of an odd way. When I'm giving out contracts, I always make sure that I give them a simple, small yearly wage rise. But I take away many of the other wage rises and fees and things like that that they might have. Um, my reasoning for this, and it seems to work relatively well, is that everybody likes a rise. And um if if the amount that you give them in a rise, and I always give them 5%, which is, I mean, it's better than inflation, so they're going to be doing better than inflation, whatever you do, um, you know, depending on what country you're in, but I don't think the game models all of that. Anyway, um, it's, it's, it's a way to make them be okay with you taking away things like... Um, you know, um, jump my wage to this amount once I've had this many games or that kind of thing. When you take those away, people get a little cranky. So if you give them a wage rise, you can actually end up saving money because you get a very predictable amount of how much the the budget is going to go up each year. If everybody gets a 5% wage rise, then then your budget goes up by 5% and that's all. So it's very predictable and very easy to budget for. So it, it saves you money in, in a different sort of way. No, that's um, definitely something I agree with. And that's something I've put in actually the first part of the article 
um, a lot of contracts I try and do, I just try and give them a base salary as much as possible and sort of avoid any sort of bonuses. Because it's quite annoying when you've got a really, really good strike and it's like, oh, after like 10 goals, you like give them an extra, like say 30, 40K. But then that extra 30, 40K is a, a player for the season's wage. So you've got to sort of balance it that way and think, do I really need to put this bonus in or should we up his salary by about 5%, like you say, and then you have a bit more manageable what you can do because it's all sort of unpredictable what you can sort of achieve and how well your team's going to do. So it's, it's, almost, it's almost a tough one in that regard. And finally, yeah. Matty, we'll, um, we'll go with you. How do you sort of save money and sort of get around your finances? Contractually-wise, contractually-wise, sorry, um, I try and get rid of all of the yearly wage rises and, and things like that. I don't mind giving goal bonuses and assist bonuses um, and bonuses on continental finishes and stuff like that. The biggest thing I've found, or at least I think I've found, is on the commercial side of it, um, if you are a team in Europe, for example, try. I will always try and get an affiliate from an Asian country or somewhere outside of my continent and then sign a player of that nationality. Yeah. Because I find that always increases uh, shirt sales. Yeah, <clears throat> that is very good. Um, I have, I've, I've, I've messed about on a few saves with contracts, and I've tried, I've tried with the whole bigger yearly wage rises, trying to get a lower contract, and I've also tried, and it worked quite well to an extent. Um, I offered more in a loyalty bonus in order to try and bring the weekly wages down. And I would try and have all of my uh, squad players on, say, £10,000 a week. All of my regular starters on 15 No matter how good they were. And then I could base my squad selection off who had had a good week in training, basically. So I'd have a higher appearance bonus in order to try and motivate them to work harder in training. And it... it it might just be in my head that it worked quite well, but I did find that the training outputs seemed to go up. That's a very good way of and thinking about of, it. Really. A lot of people were getting higher ratings in training because if if they'd have a if if there were two people, for example, that were fighting for the the right back position, I'd always pick the one who had trained better during the week before, even though they were both on ten thousand pound a week, for example. I've never ever thought about that, but that's probably one of the easiest ways in real life how you would sort of get players to sort of play for you and motivate them. Because you've got to remember, like um, as Kate always sort of reiterates, pl the players are people too. So they're not just sort of dots and that. They've obviously got the the intelligence where they want to do better. So having that sort of incentive where if you're giving people contract bonuses where, you know, per appearance, most, a lot of people are motivated by money. So having that in there just sort of Ghost goes to show how important it can be. Yeah, and... I, I did find that the, the the weekly wages would they would accept lower weekly wages. So, like, if you get somebody coming up to you wanting a new contract and he wants, I don't know, twenty five grand a week. But if you if you make the the weekly figure add up to that twenty five grand a week, 
I find that you can usually bring the weekly wage down. So you can offer him a, a, a weekly base salary of 10000 but an appearance fee of fifteen, which makes it up to that twenty five that he wanted. So how do you right. manage about this? Say, for example, you're playing in Europe in the week as well, and you've got all these appearance bonuses. If you're trying to save money, how would that sort of reflect? If well, I it didn't. I did it with a a lower half Premier League team, so I didn't have to worry about the midweek games. Of, yeah, the midweek fixtures. I, I was just it was once a week basically, mm-hmm. and it just went off training. But I had that backup of the shirt sales from that that different that nation. nation yeah, yeah. That I know. I know it's a it's a yearly thing that comes in at the end of the season rather than a a lump sum that you see throughout the season. Um, but I found that those weekly wages did make a difference because obviously you'd have if you've got two right backs that both want twenty five grand a week, you're going to give them twenty five grand a week plus whatever they want in appearance fees. But if you can get both that at ten thousand, you're only paying out thirty five a week rather than fifty a week. Oh, most definitely. I've always thought sort of similar in terms of like free agents. I've in the actual article itself, I actually speak about um, signing free agents, and I've done this in my current save online with my friend, um, and he was foreign. He failed a work permit because I'm quite far into the save, and I knew he had absolutely no chance of playing for me. He was good enough, like you know, for like a half decent team in in Europe, but when I sort of had him for the year, I loaned him out straight away until uh, it was a, a season long loan, and although I was paying forty percent of the wages, it still wasn't a hundred percent, and then. I've calculated it at the end of the season because I sold him for two point two million, and he was he wasn't on too much. And I worked out; I think I made one point nine million profit on him. That's like obviously he's he's on the books and that, but he's now gone, and I've made a profit from him. Yeah, I almost think like although it does take a while, these aren't sort of finance gains you're going to get over like by month by month. It's sort of a lump sum at the end, and it probably will affect your cash flow having that sort of incentive where you're signing players purely to be sold is, I wouldn't say it's cheating, but it's a way that you can make money um, as well as sort of, you know, making your club more well-known, especially if you're signing players from like, you know, like a lesser-known country or a big country and then they're coming over. It's a similar sort of situation to see, uh, for example, um, obviously I'll speak uh, relating to Everton, when James Rodriguez signed and... Now I go on Twitter now and I just all I see is Colombian players, uh, Colombian fans. I know it's, it doesn't work in the same sort of manner uh, because obviously James Rodriguez is a top player and he's actually getting played. But the same can be said that you will probably increase your sort of knowledge to an extent where people are going to be sort of more familiar with you. And that also helps in turn probably with sponsorships and the sort of longevity of that. And it just sort of increases the sort of fan base, I think. I've always found that sort of always goes hand in hand and that's I think really important if you're signing free agent to sort of look yeah. for the future rather than just you know picking someone up for the sake of it just to sell you've got to there's someone foreign you always get the foreign the foreign player because you just try and increase your sort of knowledge of the, the areas and stuff yeah. it's good I certainly wouldn't call it cheating because there's plenty of clubs in real life that buy to sell no 100% yeah I mean you've got Teams like, uh, just for example, I remember until the new rules came in that Chelsea were almost sort of, they essentially have a team out on loan every single season. And yeah. one of them, um, I can't remember what his name was. 
he's just been sold. He's, he's, I think he made one appearance for the company. He's been there for like nine years. Lucas Piazon. Yeah, him. That, that's he, he was the longest, longest serving player, yeah. member it's, of the Chelsea squad, and he's only played one time for him. It's, it's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> it, I just, I can't fathom how like it is. It is to make a sort of profit, but you've got to remember, like. I wonder what was going on in his mind because you surely you're thinking year on year you're getting loaned out you're going to have to sort of make a decision in your career where it's like yeah this isn't working for me I'm at a top club but it also goes down to how much you're getting paid at the end of the day yeah so any other ways you sort of save save money guys anyone anymore um, the only thing that I would suggest is is try and buy players from cheaper countries yeah definitely um, especially with like can, um, you know, these courses as well that's another one yeah, unless you, I mean, unless you really need to buy English, don't. Mm-hmm. Because... Yeah, I try and, unless I'm managing in England, I will always avoid English players. Because so, you're yeah. always paying over the odds for them. Yeah, yeah, you are, absolutely. And the same goes for, for um, Italian players or Spanish players. They, you know, if they're coming from, from one of the big five countries, they tend to be well overpriced. So I I tend to avoid buying from those countries when I can when I can manage it. I don't know about players, but certainly staff of of Italy especially tend mm-hmm. to always want a lot more money than your other European countries. I don't know what it is. Um, when I was trying to build up my Perth Berlin scouting network, I was looking for somebody that was knowledgeable in Italy. Um, I couldn't find anyone that wasn't Italian that didn't want sort of ten thousand pound a week for a scout, which I just I'm not paying. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> a player, really, that, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, it could it could work if you were trying to save money. If you send a scout out for a year in Italy just to get the knowledge up there, but I've, obviously that's something that takes a long time, and it's obviously easier if you've got the knowledge straight away. Yeah. Another one that I've mentioned in the article that's actually in my current save is the. I found a coach who was, I, I was looking for a scout and his, he was incredible as a scout. But as a coach, he had like, he wasn't amazing, but he had stats where he just fit in. So I offered him like a dual role and now he's my scout and coach and it saved me an absolute fortune. I'd probably say about two and a half grand just purely because he's taking up two spaces rather than one. Mm-hmm. Right. All right. We'll, we'll move on to the, um, FM Vars' article, he's done a follow-up of his championship guide. I don't know if you've read it, but I remember when I first see, when I was obviously proofreading and I was like, okay, this is just going to be you know short and sweet. But the amount of detail in this is actually incredible. And for anyone who's actually looking for a save in the championship, I would definitely recommend this because not only does it tell you sort of your, you know, your predicted your training facilities, it gives you a little bit of a background of the club, uh, the club vision, as well as... Uh, actual ingrained game screenshots of some of the players so you sort of know what you're looking for so if you want to play a particular way and these sort of key players that are listed by FM Vars are sort of what you want you can always use it from there it saves you going on the game and going for every club and it also shows you your hot prospects so if you see a couple of players that you like you know it's absolutely perfect like for example um, I'm on Norwich at the moment now and uh, obviously a hot prospect is Max Aarons, and you can just look at his attributes and you think he's a, he could play in the Premier League as it is now. So I definitely recommend that. I don't know if you guys have read that, but I'd uh, love to hear your sort of opinions on that. I haven't actually read it yet because um, I, I tend not to read guides, especially ones that have um, 
player recommendations in them just because I I don't use player recommendations when I play, so I try and tend to avoid them so I don't accidentally get to know about somebody and, and recognize their name later and go, oh yeah, this is that one that somebody said was really good. Um, because that, for me, that kind of spoils the immersion of the game. Mm-hmm. How about you, Luke? Yeah, I, I agree with you, Ryan. It's an amazing article. The amount of detail and it is fascinating. And like you said, by links to the screenshots. And I get I was just reading that they're going through it just now. And I get hit stoke and John Obi Mikel. That's a flashback from the past. Yeah, it's it is it was an absolute baller it's Chelsea. Used to love watching him play. Was am I right thinking he was the one he got he claimed he was kidnapped or something. We signed United to start with. Or something like that. Uh, I don't think I've heard that. No, I yeah, I'm, I'm, I've just quickly Googled it. Uh, Mikel, uh, John Obi Mikel told Father he'd been uh, kidnapped hours before World Cup match. <laughs> it's That's incredible. Really crazy. That is okay. incredible. But no, it's an amazing article. Got two parts of it, obviously. You can see part one, part two, on the tape of the game. It is like, oh. Like, if you want playing championship, you should definitely check it out. And if you know, if you know what club you want to play at, but don't you want to know more details, he'd been really handy. He actually linked them all. So if you want to go to like the bottom, see Wickham, you don't have to go, you don't have to go through everyone. You just click yeah, Wickham. Just, yeah. So it's a it's, really good article. Yeah, definitely well thought out and um, a lot of detail. Um, yeah, formations that work for each team and everything. And I. I I don't know how well they're doing in real life with regards to sort of the expectations that are in the article and FM provides for the championship because I don't follow the championship having finally got out of it after 15 years. But I can say that the championship is quite possibly one of the most manic and bonkers but rewarding saves you could probably do on Football Manager because the games come thick and fast. Um, if you if you narrowly miss out on a playoff place or beaten in the playoff, you know you've got that whole slog of a season to do again the year after. Plus the league runs, uh, the cup runs, sorry, during the league, and that feeling when you finally get out of that league and into the Premier League is the best feeling ever, even on a video game. <laughs> Mm-hmm. It's not a video game, it's a way of life. Way of life, sorry, yes. I, yeah. I have to get out of the habit of calling it a video game. Alright, I guess we'll move on to the final article um, so far from this week, and it is the alternative signings by Fernando. So this is focusing on positional moves on the Football Manager. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll kick this off because this is something that I covered in the uh, Making a Profit well, making money really in foot manager. So I've always been in the perception where if a player isn't good enough for a particular position, I almost try and sell them on. And I believe it was last year when I was managing, I believe it's Renistas in Uruguay. I had a lot of wingers who I really liked the look of, but because I don't actually play wingers, I played with wing backs. I wanted to, um, Instead of you know looking for a specific wing back role, I wanted to find either a right back or a right winger um, who would actually be you know 
useful in this position. And it saved me so much money because there is it is a very sort of tailored role where there's not as many as them, especially sort of in the when you're sort of lower league or you're not a club that can just, you know, spend an absolute fortune on players. So I spent a lot of time looking for although most of them weren't very good defensively, that was not the intention of these. They were sort of like right midfielders, very offensive. And I think if I'd have spent more time, you know, finding like an actual person who was already natural at this position, it would have cost so much money and I don't think would have got the same results from it. But since I signed these players and brought them in and trained them over the season, you know, I'd have two players and maybe one was comfortable, one wasn't. The game time, the sort of the amount they were playing, the training, everything, I, that was something that I focused immensely on just because I wanted to save the money and it, it gets to a point where they actually want to leave or they you want to sell them. They're now more versatile, so you're going to obviously get more money from these players because they're now in a better position in terms of just instead of being comfortable in one position, they're comfortable in two or three. So um, before I sort of ask you about that, it's something that is um, I would definitely recommend instead of trying to sell a player or buy a player who's specific in this, if you can find players who match what you want to do, have the right attributes for this sort of role, just please do retrain them. You'll you'll see some absolutely incredible results. Obviously, with everything, it doesn't always work, but when it does work, you I take I try and take a lot of credit for it just because it's sort of my incentive and my idea to actually do this with these players. So yeah, that's it. I'll um start with uh Kate this time for position or retraining if you do it or you don't or I actually almost never do this. Um and because it, it goes sort of against the philosophy of, of how I play. Um when I for instance when I assess a squad, when I arrive at a squad, um the first thing I do is look at the team report, the depth report, to say how um to see what kind of strategy, what kind of um formation we're going to play because I want players to play where they're best. And so um, that is usually at the place that they prefer to play. Not always, but it works generally speaking, and they like playing there. And because they like playing there, they like me better, and so on and so on. So because I approach the game from that angle where, where the relationship is the important piece, rather than the the position on the field i just adapt my tactics to whatever is presented to me and i'll just use whatever we happen to have if if i've got great wingers we'll try wing play if if we've got you know wonderful central midfielders then i'll try some some tiki tack or, or or control possession or something like that if everybody's really heavily fit i might try a gig and press so it it really depends on on what the team presents me with. So I've I've never really thought very much about retraining somebody to move from one position to another. I just use them at the positions they're already in. It's interesting that. So what happens when you find a better player than that's already existing, but you don't want to get rid of the player that you currently have? Do you sort of just get them on or just use them as a backup then? Yeah. Uh, I that's another of my principles is always be upgrading. So whenever I buy, whenever I'm buying a player for a position, I'm buying that player to be the main player at that position, even if I already have a main player at that position. 
it means that I'm I'm buying to replace them. It's that's always my my point in in buying. I never I never buy backups. It's quite interesting because right? everyone uh, plays different. It's uh, quite an interesting sort of perception. You just sort of not sort of let them do what they want, but you know let them do what they like and are good at. Good at. Yeah. Yeah, which often is the same thing as what they want. Mm -hmm. Yeah, of course. So, Luke, what about you? How do you approach sort of retraining, and uh, what did you think of Fernando's article? I'm very, I'm very different to what Kate said because, like I said, obviously, as someone who plays a lot in MLS, you sometimes you can't afford to have two or three right backs or two or three defenders within the salary cap on registration. You have you. It's a very common practice in real life in MLS, but you have veteran players who play in two or three positions as cover, and normally they're very cheap. So I do this quite a lot. Like I had a player, Alex McWill, who was a midfielder, but I could also play him at left back, right back, and you could even play a bit of striker. So he was very versatile, and that's perfect for me because if if a have someone who can't play if he's injured. I don't. Need, I don't need to worry about changing the salary cap or waving someone. I can take, put her, put him there for the game. So, and I love Fernandez article, but I like. I like the fact he had like real life examples of real players like Philip Lam, Fabinho. So I, I thought it was a really, really good article. Oh, I did too. I just don't do it. <laughs> That's understandable. Everyone's plays different. That's the beauty of the game. There's no right or wrong way to do it. Um, so, yeah, when it comes to me retraining, um, I tend to have, or I like to have two players that can play in every position. Um, and then Usually, uh, one of my youngsters who's ready to step in just in case both of those two get injured. Obviously, that always doesn't work if you don't have the money to bring in that cover. So I tend to I'll I'll always look for the guy with a high work rate and uh, determination because I find they're the easier ones that are more willing to 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 learn a new position. Um, so there's been plenty of times when I have, because the the way that I play in certainly in my my Germany save, um, I play quite a high press and I like using the wings, so I play with wing backs and I find that the the wingers with the work rate and the stamina and the determination and all that can be quite easily retrained into wing backs so I'm effectively playing four wingers but two of them are a lot deeper in the wing back position and I do find that that works quite well um obviously you've you've got the natural sort of left and right sided wingers that are always interchangeable with the inverted wingers inside forward type thing however I'm going to cause a lot of controversy mentioning this dirty word fifa is always a good marker for me to 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 work out the retraining because I don't know if you anyone that's 
played, I mean, I don't anymore, but anyone that has played FIFA, the the position changes. Basically, it moves up and down the pitch, so you can't move them uh, like a left-back to a centre-back. But I find that going forward laterally along the pitch works a lot better for retraining than trying to move a centre midfielder to a wide position. If that makes sense. No, yeah, that does, no, you, that does make sense, yeah. Um, I can understand that to an extent because if you've said if you've got an 18-year football career and you've played on the right side the whole way through that, if you're then told, okay, so if you're playing the centre, instead of being defensively aware of the left-hand side of the pitch, you're now responsible for the right and the left. So I, I can understand where you're coming from from that, and it, it does make a lot of sense. It also comes down to sort of the player, I, I guess. Um, like you say, if they've got good high work rate and determination, I think you can always get the best out of that. And it's sort of adaptability, really, but obviously that's sort of hidden. So, Okay, we'll uh, go to the away dressing room. Um, I'll start this off. So this is the sort of section where we talk about people in the community that we're either watching, reading, or listening to. So I've got two people this week. Um, my first is Fox in the Box, as always. <laughs> always do watch his videos. Um, this is someone I spoke to a bit recently as well. He's. I remember having a conversation with him before this FM cycle started, and we spoke about how he was going to change his channel and that. And I think what he's actually done with his channel is... Uh, nothing short of sort of brilliance really he's sort of instead of just doing the sort of usual saves and his little FM 101 guides there's a lot more detail in the, in the smaller parts of the game or the parts that don't get enough attention or what people don't actually understand fully so I've been watching a lot of his training uh, methods and how he goes about training as well as sort of how he gets the best out of his players and I think that's something that a lot of people want to do, but they don't really know how to execute it. And obviously, uh, Lee's way isn't the best way for some people. But for me, I think having someone who um, is obviously very familiar with the game has a lot of their own sort of perception of it uh, to sort of explain that to you. I think it's very well. And it's just not only that, it's just how each sort of segment in training, for example, works. So you're saying like your community outreach. Um, all this sort of thing. So it's not like just focused on training, it's doing stuff off the field as well. So utilising the free sessions you've got available mostly. And I, I just think what he's done uh, this year, especially with his channel, is, is, is brilliant. I've also been reading Magnus uh, Steinkelson. Apologies if I've got that wrong. I believe your name is Matty. Uh, I spoke to him a few times as well in direct messages. Uh, in particular, his 2020-21 season analysis with Nice. And... Um, I've obviously over the time I've read quite a lot of articles um, around saves and stuff, and I've I found a lot of them interesting. Everyone has different ways of playing the game, but this uh, particularly stands out with his sort of analysis because um, I'm someone who loves the analysis side of the games, but I've never really dove into it as much as some of the other writers we've got on the site, so like FM Vars and uh, FM Tahiti. Uh, so when he sort of analysed this season, he's um, sort of made it so that when he's analysed it, he's done it properly rather than saying, oh yeah, we scored this amount of goals, this. He's sort of broke that down into the sort of expected goals, sort of key points in the season where they've had the sort of the transformation in the season, how well it's going. And then it's just sort of identifying um, sort of what areas in the squad like are contributing to what, area, to what sort of thing. So uh, I'm just looking at this graphic now, which is focusing on the amount of minutes played per Per age, per age, so there's like one player who's you must be like 37, 
and it's just it's just really interesting to see like this is something that I, I would always love to do is just sort of look into it a bit more because it's it's not just minutes played it's sort of seeing how well your team is from this and I just I just think it's a, a really good way of sort of channeling that to a viewer and I'm uh, just really really sort of impressed how he's sort of done that so that's who I've been uh, reading and watching uh, I'd be interested to know what you've been watching and reading Kate um, watching uh, two it's mainly watching for me, and it's been two series that I've really been enjoying lately. Um, one would be FM Lama's uh, Sub Zero Hero, which is about his um his efforts at Tromsdalen in Norway, well, well up uh, near um past the Arctic Circle. It's it's one of the most northern clubs in the world, um, and he's trying a youth challenge. That is to say, he's forbidden from buying any players at all. He has to produce all his own talent. And it's, you know, I mean, it's put out with his usual quality and his usual humility and, and humor. And it's just, it's a really fun and entertaining and and also um, educational series because he's he's been looking at um, development and because he's dealing with a semi-professional team, they only train twice a week and things like that. So it's uh, it's been an interesting challenge. Um, the other one that I've been watching and really enjoying is um, Wolf Tracks. He was a smaller creator, but um, has been doing really well with an interesting director of football challenge at um, Paris FC in um, France, currently in Ligue 2. And... Um, trying to to move up towards Liga and and glory but um it's it's just really interesting i don't find that a director of football challenge is usually all that interesting because i don't find that the director of football is all that effective for most part but it's surprising how competent this one has been um he hasn't been stockpiling left backs or anything like like i've seen in the past um so it's it's yeah you know um it's been a good series to watch i've been really enjoying it so um that's it's only on uh episode oh i don't know i thought i was going to be able to tell you what episode it's <laughs> on but i can't because he doesn't have them on oh yes it is uh 21 oh so it's quite far episode isn't it? 21 so he's uh he's not very far not that far along and some of them are He's, he's generally making 20-minute videos. There's a few that are somewhat longer, but generally mm. speaking, 20-minute videos. So, well, that yeah, that's how things have been going there. Good, good. And how about you, Matty? Uh, I have recently started following, and it is recently started because there's only one episode out at the moment, uh, Prieto FM, who I believe is a fairly new starter, a new joiner to the community. But he piqued my interest with a... A new save following Wakefield FC, who some people may know that they are currently the largest city in the UK without a league football team, a professional league football team. So basically, he's done a full backstory about it, um, that Project Big Picture, which was that thing that I think has recently been scrapped, was given the go-ahead. Um and Wakefield FC were granted league entry into the championship. 
Um, oh, okay. the, the league was slightly um, restructured, so it's now three automatic promotion places rather than a playoff. Um, this is with all of the new um, sort of COVID substitution thing going on and everything. Um, the, the, the first YouTube video that he's done uh, gives the bit of an intro and hit the second stream should be dropping at some point this week. Um, that's definitely something that piqued my interest, like I say, cause just because I'm from Wakefield. Um, and I've, I've always liked that little sort of claim to infamy that we've not got a professional football team. It's definitely a different way of going about it. It's, it's quite interesting, actually, because I've almost found like people who do these sort of editor stuff... Um... It's sometimes for their own benefit, but like if you can relate to someone on a sort of personal level like that, it almost gives you the incentive to watch it and come back for more. Mm. How about you then, Luke? What have you been reading, listening to, watching this week? Mine, I've been like, mostly watching them. These two probably seem very obvious answers. So I was going to say Zealand, friend of the show, and Dr. Benji. Like, Dr. Benji's Thames series, obviously, did Thames a couple of years ago. But the whole storyline and behind its new ten series is amazing. And as you guys know, I'm a sucker for a story. <laughs> I love a story. And the whole story behind it about how the original Thames got sold for money and and you know taking the Phoenix Club. It's an amazing story and I, I love it. I'm I'm proudly enjoying that. I think we got benches. I think Personally, the best watching, best viewing experience for me as a viewer is not this time really hard, seeing someone struggle. I think seeing someone struggle and then get there eventually is much more satisfying feeling than, yeah, rather than just like going off. Gets, the yeah, game, gets yeah. winning every game. I think it's much more, satisfi- much more satisfying to see the journey. Um, so that one, and Zealand, Zealand. I, I particularly like his one he did a couple of days ago about saving people's FM saves. Big fan of that. Um, but Zealand, he makes such good quality content. So I always say Zealand and Dr. Benji, FM. Fair enough. It sounds sounds good. Yeah, I used, did used to watch Dr. Benji a while back. I did watch a 10 series as well. It was, that was very interesting. I've not seen the new series, but I didn't know that he'd... Uh, the original terms of Phoenix Club and do sort of making another club, just similar to sort of like AFC Wimbledon and um, and United, FC United, yeah, pr- pretty much, yeah. So yeah, that so... pretty much uh, covers the uh, away dressing room. So, this is something I'm going to trademark because I don't think anyone's done this. We're going to call the answer section the press conference. Hope you all like that one. I do. So, so we've got a couple of, co- <laughs> thank you. Uh, we do have a couple of questions in. The first is from Fox in the Box, and it is, would you rather be talentless and never injured or very talented and always injured? Um, we'll go with Kate first. Well, I'm going to go with my real-life example and go talentless and never injured. Because <laughs> um, that's pretty much... That's, well, that's pretty much who I was. You know, I mean, I... I the only thing I ever did in, in the way of any serious injury was um, I, I tore my left ACL when I was playing hockey, um, ice hockey. I got my skate caught in a rut when I was trying to turn one way and my leg turned the other way and it just didn't work out well. 
Um, but that's the only time in a, in playing between the ages of four and 47 that I was ever out for more than a week. Wow. So, um, so yeah, I think I'd go with talentless, but never injured or uh, hang on. What was it? Talentless, but yeah, talentless, but never injured. That's it. Yeah. What about you then, Luke? I mean, I, I actually think I'll probably go for the latter one or being mm-hmm. talented, but injured. Do you think of the players you, you think of? Who were like very talented, but injuries ruined them. But Jack everyone Wilshire. knows, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But everyone knows Jack Wilshire because he has some injury. So, like mm. Freddie Adu, a lot of injuries, but not many people don't know who Freddie Adu is, even though he didn't live up to the hype. So, I think if you get injured, but obviously have a lot of talent, people remember you. You basically become like. Superstar, not pretty, not for the right reasons, but people will yeah. never forget you because that was you come a bit of a joke, like or sick note, Jack Wilshire. Yeah, I suppose if you're looking at it that way, that it's also when your say football career would end, you still have that something to go off, so you're sort of you know, you're still in the media's eye. Whereas mm. if you're someone just like you know, like a plain Jane sort of thing, who's just you know, putting a six out of ten every week. You're probably going to be remembered for someone who you know no. who scored that like three, four amazing goals, but then was injured for eight months after. So you think of well, remember, remember that having no talent doesn't mean having no work rate. That's true. How about you then, Matty? I thought about this completely differently and completely selfishly. If I have got bags of talent, but I'm fairly injury prone, I'm thinking sort of last sort of six to eight years of Gareth Bale. Yeah. I'd much rather be on his wage with all that talent but not playing than be playing week in, week out in League Two. No, that's interesting. That. <laughs> Point. I don't know. That's, I, don't, that's just... I don't know if I would, though. You would. Yeah. You would. Nothing I don't know if I would. I don't know if I would. You don't know mm. what, how motivated I am by money. That's true. I, yeah, well, it's one of those. Would I rather be on the physio table at a, at a sort of semi-final Champions League team for four months of a season, five months of a season, or would I be rather be playing sort of League Two and below standard football week in, week out? I mean, I don't know. It's... I'm not a professional footballer, so I can't answer that question. I <laughs> I love playing football, so I, I would probably right now go for the the regular football. But if you put a six figure salary in front of me, I might have a different opinion on that. <laughs> no, I get that. Um... I think I think also like I think what Garrett's battle won. Like no matter what people say about his injury record. No one will ever take away all the Champions League he's won, all the Liga he won. No one will ever take that away from him. We'll get into the so, semi-finals uh, with with Wales. Yes, yeah, so no one will ever take. No one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Welsh coming out of you there, wasn't it, Ryan? You wanted to get yeah, in, didn't you? Yeah. yeah, I had to get in. So I'm going to answer the question as well. I think I'd rather be talentless and never injured because I think. I'm I'm very sort of passionate about my football and when I could play football I played five side a lot and I think just being able to sort of relate to fans, you know, 
just that, you know, actually playing and sort of always being the sort of, not how to get a jail card, but, you know, always being there, being able to like show up and that. It is a very tough question because you don't know what, what is the sort of talentless as in terms of what level is that, or is that just someone who's not going to be remembered? And then it is a, it's a, it's very a tough difficult can, question yeah. to answer. I think, see, I, I think of it in terms of, would you rather be James Milner or Gareth Bale? Well, I think that's a good question, though, because James Milner, I think he's not really dropped as a footballer. He's been consistent. Obviously, he's lost his pace in that, but like you say, his work rate and his determination has kept him at a very high level. But he's never had the, he'd never had the talent that Bale did, right? But yeah, he's, he's always been an incredible hard worker, and that's made up for it. And also, he's never had a lot of injuries. That's very true. I mean, it's a similar yeah. situation, yeah. I was going to say similar to Dico, but I was actually going to go for Henderson. So I, I really like Henderson, but I wouldn't say he got not, I wouldn't say he got much talent. I say he's a good player, but I wouldn't say he got much talent as such. But he's still one of the Liverpool's best players in that title season. And like I said, people never take away that part from him. So it's a very tricky situation because. Let's be honest, most people will be motivated by money. Mm-hmm. No, so, yeah. I suppose it, I think it would all depend on the level because if you said, uh, if you had, if you changed the question and say, would you prefer to win all the trophies but like miss, you know, miss every single final because you're injured or miss most of the games because you're injured or would you prefer to have a, like a, say, a 20 year career? Not win any trophies. Level, not win any trophies but play like week in, week out. I think I'd rather play week in, week out. It's a tricky yeah. one. I just, I just think I like football that much. But then I suppose I've never played it at any, uh, anything higher than amateur. So yeah, I think that's, training that's... once a week is a bit different than training every week, every day a week. I don't know. It's, it's a very good question. So I appreciate the question, Lee. Um, we'll move on to the next one. Uh, this is from FM Vars, one of our own. If this one easier. Yeah, yeah, of course. If you were a player in FM, what would your favourite position and role be? Uh, we'll go with you, Matty. Um, it's got to be the mid centre of midfield, sort of a deep line playmaker, because it's where I play in real life. Very nice. Um, I've, I, mean, I don't know if you guys ever get a bit silly with the editor sometimes and create yourself. I've, um, I've done that once. Very good. Obviously made myself absolutely incredible. Yeah, you make yourself the best player in the world. and. <laughs> If only you try and try and put yourself to your boyhood club, and you end up getting snapped up by Real Madrid for two hundred million within a week. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm always sort of a, a deep line playmaker or a box to box. Okay. How about you, Kate? Um, probably a defensive midfielder or a goalkeeper, mostly goalkeeper. But goalkeeper. That's, that's where I played. For a lot you of years. You, you played uh, ice hockey, so... I also played goaltender in ice hockey. I, I played defense as well in ice hockey, but I but I did play goaltender for a while. It's going to be like um, a sweeper-keeper. <laughs> well, I used... In fact, I used some of the technique that I'd learned as a hockey goaltender to improve my soccer goalkeeping. Because I... Makes sense. But yeah. There are things like um, the butterfly style in in hockey goaltending, where you are um, basically you're you're 
trying to spread each limb in such a way that you're covering as much ground as possible. Like a, um, like a Peter Schmeichel. Yes. And that technique served me really well for a long time. So, um, and it, also I tended to make a lot more kick saves than, um, than your average goalkeeper. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's just a style I was used to from, from playing hockey. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I yeah, can imagine there's a lot of transferable skills there. Yeah. How about you, Luke? This might be a bit surprised. So, as the line knows, I'm not the slimmest guy, but I did actually used to play a bit of football. You're like, handsome, was... though, so it makes up for it. Oh, thank Ryan. <laughs> you, you're just trying to get them cakes, aren't you? Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. Um, when I was in sixth form, it was many, many moons ago now. Um, I, I say not that long ago, but last week, <laughs> not quite. Um, um, I actually played a bit of we had six side league, and I, I didn't play often, but I played a couple of times. And I actually played the striker um, because I was so big, to be honest, that I could get hold of one up. So I'd probably be a striker, but like, I, I can fend with but not muscle. <laughs> Just fat, not muscle. Okay, get set, set fairly one. How tall are you? Um, I'm about five eleven, like that. Oh, not tall enough for a Sean Dyche Burnley team then. No, not that tall. <laughs> tall enough. Not quite tall enough for that. Not Peter Crouch tall. Interesting. See, I've uh, when I first started playing the eleven aside, I've sort of played behind a striker, and very slowly but surely, I ended up playing right back, and that's where I sort of where I stuck. If if I was good enough, I'd always like to be the sort of an anchor man. That's my favourite role, and I one of my favourite Everton players of all time is Gareth Barry, and he played that role so well because yeah. what he lacked in pace made up for in his sort of intelligence. He could position himself in a much better position than someone who had the pace. And I just I was just sort of mesmerised watching him play because he's not your typical, you know, you 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 Spanish like Xavi or whatever. He's just just does the job, and I think that's something that's sort of sort of missing. And uh, yeah, that's that's what I'd be. I'd be sort of an anchor man. And the probably, final I think question... he, he's probably oh, the last, the last of the the typical English sort of anchor man defenders. The no nonsense, win everything, ball and man kind of midfielder. Yeah, no yellow carded player ever. <laughs> yeah, I think he was probably the last. The last one I can remember of of recent years, yeah, especially uh, English modern balanced. football. Yeah, modern football nowadays, they they, they needed to do everything. Yeah, I suppose Declan Rice is similar, but I think that might be mainly because he sort of played centre back and midfield. He's never really in in between sort of that holding role. I'll move on to the last question, and this is a question by one of Kate's friends, and it says, "How to improve tactical familiarity?" So. We'll start with Kate as it's your friend. Um, yeah, that's a good question because it's it's something that I've been struggling with a little myself. But uh, you know, again, for me, the the approach is is to put players in the position they're most comfortable in, and work from there. So it's not generally a big problem for me. So because when you put people in the comfortable position, they learn it quickly and they they because they like being there. Um, so it's, 
it it has it isn't generally speaking a big problem for me um but i think it's i think it's something that that we need to that there's probably things in training i could be doing that i'm not doing that would help <laughs> absolutely how about you luke i mean i always think like when i go back to mls when i play in mls like trying to get people like to play to get over obviously this is this sounds a bit stupid fitting people to play match they can together because i'm like, some people will change it up if i got a bit easier match or a cat match or might put a weaker side out i mm-hmm. i i want i don't play the same team because i want to win every game and win every cup but also if we play together more the tactical familiarity with each other is going to play more and relationship will build so if you play together more in other competitions you're gonna get a better tactical familiarity i think so. No, yeah, that does make sense. How about you, Matty? I am going to pick up where Kate left off with the training because I find I I can get sort of on the on the tactic familiarity screen I can get sort of a ninety percent and above formation familiarity within a few months, and I think that is because of the training that I do before um, during the season. Um, obviously, your, your pre-season training, you're focusing on your fitness um, and things like that. But when I get actually into the swing of the season, I tend to have an allocated day on the defensive setup for the following game. So I will I'll start the week on on Monday, for example, for a game on Saturday. I'll do defensive shape out of the match preparation. Then I'll do the tactic, the defensive shadow play, and then I will do depending on how I'm planning on pressing whatever team I'm coming up against, um, or how I'm planning on defending. I'll do one of the defensive uh, training sessions, so ground defense, wing defense, engage, disengage, that kind of thing. Then I'll have the Tuesday will be match tactics and match practice with a recovery session. Wednesday, I will then focus on the attacking side of it. So I'll have attacking movement, uh, attacking shadow play, and then however I'm planning on attacking that team. It always stays within the same formation, but I'm all, all I'm doing is tweaking the out-of-possession and the in-possession team instructions. So whether I'm planning on going down the middle or right flank, left flank, whatever, defending a bit deeper and without pressing as high. Um, and I find that that, if you hammer the match preparation training sessions, the familiarity goes up quite quick. Hmm. That's how I sort of look at it. So I, this is something that I learned from Fox in the Box. My, I have three sessions. Well, the two sessions mainly are mainly like the match preview, match tactics. And I feel like if you put them into your training, that's the quickest and best way to get it up because you're focusing on your sort of match preview that will also look at like, you know, how your team sort of set up. It's also looking at the opposition. So it's that way you're improving your team's sort of familiarity with that. But then it just means the quicker you can get that up, it doesn't mean you have to stop doing it, but it just means, like you say, uh, that pre-season, even if you've got games in that, if you just uh, sort of look at that and study that, and 
I think that's the best way to do it. It's the same with like your recovery sessions as well. There's you can look at a match review, and I think that's something that's probably very commonly used in real life. And for some reason, a lot of the system managers don't really uh, not system managers, whoever's in charge of your um, training doesn't really look at that. And I think that's something that should be sort of embedded into the game, where you know you have your rest session, and then you have your reco- uh, your recovery as well as your match review. And I think that should sort of be. Uh, something that everyone should sort of use because it just sort of you have a reflect on what you've done right, what you've done wrong. Obviously, you don't see that as if you would uh, say if you're watching a documentary, you'd see that sort of happening, but behind the scenes, that is happening, and that, that's the only way I'd say you can improve your technique is just train on it as much as you can, really. And obviously, persistence in playing if you've got multiple formations, it's going to be harder for them all three to be you know spot on, whether you've got one, maybe two at a push. Uh, you can get them done a lot quicker. Yep, I agree. All right, I guess that was sort of time to finish up. Um, thank you very much, uh, Luke, Kate, and Matty, for coming on. Um, I hope you've enjoyed this Dictate the Podcast and uh, my attempt at hosting. Uh, as always, you can find us on all the sort of platforms. Uh, our website is dictatethegame.com. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook. The same, Dictate the Game. Just search Dictate the Game. You'll find us somewhere. <laughs> Hope you've enjoyed it, and thank you very much. Goodbye. No, Bye. Ramona.